you are going to reach for something else. And I did. I had let my guard down. I was involved in a, a very close friendship with another man, and it just slowly, insidiously moved into an affair. And I, I can remember thinking, well, God so obviously, you know, so little cares about our lives and my the events and what's going on. I'm sure he won't even care about this. Lyndall Holtz grew up surrounded by godly examples. She had a powerful experience with the Lord as a young girl and developed strong convictions about what was right and what was wrong. In college, she married a man named David and they entered into a life of full-time ministry and she thought this was the blueprint for happiness. But fast forward 20 years later and she would be depressed and doubting and still aching for happiness. And it was these things that allowed the enemy to lead her to a place she swore she would never go, an affair. But stay with us, because you'll also hear how God took what the devil meant for evil and turned it for great good. Thanks for joining us for Lyndall's Story of Hope, today on Purity for Life. entire lives, two very powerful spiritual beings are seeking to influence us. On the one hand, God is seeking to draw us closer to himself to make us more pure and holy. And on the other hand, the enemy uses everything he can to draw us away from God and to conform us to his unholy nature. And if we're not vigilant, The trials and allurements of this life will take us deep into the enemy's kingdom, regardless of whether or not we go to church. That's exactly what happened to Lyndall. Today we're going to play for you part one of her testimony to show you just how easy it is for any Christian, even one with a strong foundation, to slowly, imperceptibly, bit by bit, let go of genuine faith, and become a prime target for sin's deceptive influence. I think what I want to do is get, I want to get into your book later, mm-hmm. and I want to start first talking about um, how you grew up. Set mm-hmm. the stage that way, what mm-hmm. your younger years were like, what your home was like, and after this, we'll talk maybe about what your faith development was like. Mm-hmm. So can we start there just sure. your growing up years? I, I grew up in a small village of Pennsylvania. My uh, we, we had so we sounded, surrounded by a gaggle of family, aunts and uncles, grandparents. We uh, were all part of a church community. Mm. My um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was um, an incredibly godly woman. She um, and I share that in my first book about her life. Um, I grew up with examples of godly women and godly men, praying women. Uh, my grandmother fasted every Wednesday of every week. My mother tells a story she can hear. She can remember my grandmother praying. 
you know, under the porch of their big house or up in the attic or in the barn. And then my mother was, I grew up with my mother, uh, you know, behind a closed door, uh, praying. I could hear, you know, mentioning my name, my siblings' names. Um, the church we grew up in was uh, truly taught salvation. Um, there was a lot of uh, uh, preaching of hell and brimstone preaching, but it gave me um, a real uh, healthy concept of God in the sense that I truly revered God. I knew there was a heaven, there was a hell to shun. And so I grew up with just gr- that kind of teaching. I have, I'm the oldest of eight brothers and sisters. My mom and dad took in 25 foster children over the time um, I was growing up, and out of that, they, they adopted five children. My, my home life was just loving. My parents never got caught up in the legalistic um, lifestyle that my own particular church was involved in. They, uh, they did not um, believe that the way you dressed or the fact you didn't go there or do that uh, was um, an example. It was Christian holiness. It wasn't about the way you looked or where you went or didn't go. They just didn't get caught up. They were not legalistic people. They were loving, forgiving, um, tolerant people of other people. And uh, I set a great example for me. I could not have had a better example. And then I was the oldest. My mom did not go to college. My dad did not go to college. They, But I knew they were saving up for me to go to college. When I graduated, I ended up going to a Christian college up in Quincy, Massachusetts. And um, I, I didn't want to go, but out of honoring my parents and all the years they sacrificed to save, I went there. The first year I was there, I met my husband, David, mm. and uh, he he was actually grew up in the town just north of me in Pennsylvania, but we didn't know each other. So I met him, and uh, the following year after my freshman year, we, we were married. Wow. Yeah, and went into the ministry from there. So can we, can we talk about how your own faith developed? Because even having a right view of God and having a, a right view of salvation doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually born again. Right. So h- how did that begin to happen in your own life? Um, there were a lot of auto calls when I was growing up in my church. We had revivals. We were there every time the door, church door was open. And um, I recall many incidents of going to the altar. I had a sense of awareness of, you know, grieving the Lord. I thought I had to go every time I grieved God and get saved all over again. Okay. My, my okay. understanding was very naive in many ways, just very limited. But my grandmother would always kneel by me, and some other aunts and uncles, they'd kneel by me. But it wasn't until I was 12 years of age, and I was at teen camp, and I vividly remember standing around a campfire at night, and a young youth evangelist was in the circle there, and he was sharing the love of Christ and salvation. And for the first time in my young life, I felt a warmth surround my heart and a warmth that just permeated my whole being. I'll never forget it. And it was as if the Lord was um, manifesting himself to me as a loving Savior to me, that mm-hmm. I truly was born again and that um, I was his child. So I think that was my first experience of believing 
that he truly was a God that hears, and he truly was a God that loves me. Uh, up to that point, I didn't know if he if he did, and I kept going to the altar to try sure. to receive that. But it was like he knew what I needed in that moment to assure me that I truly was his child. Of course, there was times uh, as I grew older that I, I deepened my faith, you know, understanding what sanctification is and surrendering sure, yeah. your total life to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I had experiences after that. But that was the initial one that, that really, that really uh, moved me and woke me up. <laughs> there are a lot of people, I think, who have had some kind of an experience that is similar to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's always the question of whether or not that was a genuine spiritual experience or just an emotional experience, and they would look at their subsequent subsequent years Mm -hmm. as an indication of whether or not they were really um, deeply affected by the Lord. Mm -hmm. Did that experience stay with you for... For years? Yes, it did. It guided me in many ways. I, I don't remember praying the prayer to, to receive him because I believe I, I was walking with the Lord, but it was the experience of knowing that I think that he actually was real. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he was not just some precept or some principle or something that I've been taught, but he actually existed, and he now existed in my heart. Yeah. And it was um, just being enveloped by his love and his presence that overwhelmed me. Mm. I felt from that point on that because I knew he was real, I could now truly communicate with him as my friend and, and my, my savior. Uh, up to that point, I don't know if I, I really believed in that when I prayed, he actually heard me, or was he even there? So yeah, yeah it impacted me greatly. Let's talk a little bit about your book, or at least start getting into it, because the title of your book, Confessions of an Adulterous Woman, I think sometimes it's those it's those real spiritual experiences that makes the darkness even worse, mm-hmm. because you remember what it was like to yeah. be in the presence of that love. Yeah. And you know now the absence of it. Yeah. Um, but I guess l- let's go back then. Um, how did <laughs> – I can't imagine that as a 12-year-old you would have ever thought, I'm going to be living in adultery someday. No. 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 Um, it's the <laughs> – it's the last thing I thought I'd ever do. I mean, I became, I became a pastor's wife, and um, I just, I had a clear sense of right and wrong. I had a clear mm-hmm. sense of what was sin in my life and what wasn't. But um, the part of the problem, and, and the book title is um, "The Confessions of an Adulterous Christian Woman." Oh. Okay. And my publisher put the word in Christian. I agreed with him. It needed to be there. There are, there are people who think that uh, that's an oxymoron, Christian adulterer. But what we don't realize is adultery is simply idolatry. Something else has dethroned God in your heart, and yeah. someone else has taken that place. And, and then if you think that there's no Christian adulterers, 
are we ready to say there are no Christian idolaters in the church? Mm. <laughs> I think that was God's uh, biggest, the thing that made him the most angry in the Old Testament was his own people were committing idolatry all the time. And he even called it at times adultery. Mm -hmm. And they were in the sanctuary uh, at the same time offering incense to idols and at the same time worshiping God. Today, God's own people are committing idolatry within the church. And it, it comes out in forms of adultery, materialism, greed, pleasure seeking, mm -hmm. you name it. We, we have our idols in the church. Mine happened to be adultery. And it was partly because when I say Christian adulterer, because I was a Christian, because I was um, immersed in ministry, I thought that my position gave me extra protection. In other words, there was no way that I can commit adultery. Mm. It's beneath me. And I look back, and I just—I was not on a fair alert. I was blindsided by it because, one, um, I thought I was too good to fall. Hmm. You know, the Bible says, you know, if you think you're standing firm, watch out. And I thought, because I disdained adultery and all, all of its ramifications so much, that there was no way I'd ever go there. It's impossible. So I was not prepared that Satan was going to use the very thing that I said I'd never do. He was going to mm. use that to bring me down. And I also did something else. I sat in judgment of Christians who fell into adultery. I, I literally wrote them off. Mm. I mean, if they were in the church and committed adultery, I had no compassion for them. One, you, you were never a Christian. You could never have been one. Um, and I judged them as being inferior and having no right to be a part of the body of Christ. I was very prideful. That was, you know, pride goes before fall. And, and that's exactly what failed me was my belief that I couldn't, as a Christian, I had special protection. Can I ask yeah. why you singled that sin out as I would never do that? Just because I thought it is such a crime against your spouse. It's such a crime against God's people, the church. Mm -hmm. It is such a crime against God, the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and it's such a crime against yourself. It's, it's a sin that not only causes great harm to other people, but it's also a sin, if you're a Christian, that causes harm to yourself greatly. Mm -hmm. When I committed adultery, I felt if the very fabric of my character in Christ was ripped to shreds. I can remember the psychological anguish yeah. that I went through. Um, having to, and, and the fact that I knew adultery was a gross sin to me allowed me, when I committed adultery, to recognize that I wouldn't indeed was living in sin. There, I was guilty. If I would have died in a car wreck during that time, I would have gone to hell. I know it. And there is a belief out there that says, um, one, finding happiness in this person is God's will because mm -hmm. he wants mm -hmm. us to be happy. I, I've had women tell me that. 
We had a couple in our church tell us that when we were pastoring, holding hands. They got down on their knees in one of their their homes and prayed to God, and God told them that he wanted them to be happy. And Mm. they were leaving their spouses for one another. We're talking board members and choir members and Sunday school teachers, this couple. And they had convinced themselves that it was God's will for them to find each other. I knew, one, it wasn't God's will. I knew I was a great sinner, and I, I knew that I was lost for all eternity uh, if I st- remained in my sin. Mm-hmm. God made that very clear to me. And you know, what I, how I saw adultery prior to committing adultery proved to be true. The ramifications of it that just completely floored other Christian witnesses. I mean, we had, we had families that were based, there's couples that fell completely away from the Lord. I mean, there were uh, my children, uh, the, the, um, especially our oldest son, the damage that happened between him and I, it grieved me to, to my knees. The, um, the effects on my parents, the look on their faces when I told them what was going on. I always say that every other God that a Christian, you know, bows to, all the gods Christians bow to, the idols in their heart, you know, they will make you bleed. Only Jesus Christ bleeds for us, a true God. He Mm. bled for us. But every God we bow to will make us bleed. And I put bleed in quotation marks because adultery will cause that bleeding, that blood, that wound to flow deep in your own life, but it will spread out to lives all around you. And the Mm. ripple effect goes on for years. But I think what's interesting to me is that, you know, this is the one thing in a sense, I'll never do this. And you've got all your reasons. And so you're guarded. You're guarded against this. You're not thinking, it's not just like some uh, random threat out there that you're not even... Yeah. uh, So... You must, What? how could you fall yeah. if you were always guarded against it? Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, the events that took place prior to me going into an affair were uh, events that challenged my faith deeply. Mm. Uh, part of my, even though I was raised in a Christian home, I did not realize how warped my perception of God was in his love. Because I, I had erroneous, erroneously believed and a very naive belief that because I was a Christian and living right and doing all the right things, that God should bless my life. I shouldn't have any tragedies or any stressful events in my life. I, mm. you know, I just was very naive in, in thinking this way. And the year of 1998... Uh, opened up in a, and I go into I won't go into detail now because it's in my book. But there was one tragic event after another. Mm. Um, I just went into a deep valley of depression, and the final blow was my cousin's little boy. He was five. I was just lived down the street from me, and I was driving with a friend of mine. We were driving down the road. And uh, we saw this form lying in the middle of the road. Mm. It was Kirby, her little boy. He was hit by a car. The man who'd hit him was standing over him. 
And my friend and I jumped out of our car, and we knelt on both sides, knelt on either side of Kirby, and we began CPR. But um, Kirby basically died in our arms on, in the street that day. Mm. It was a horrific event. And I remember that day that I went home and uh, threw my blood-soaked clothes away, and I fell to my knees. And it, this, was, this came at the end of a, several events that just had um, just just had ripped me apart. And I raised my fist to the sky, and I yelled at God. I, I said, what, what are you doing, God? How is the taking of this precious little life going to prosper anyone or anything? What, where are you, God? And I was beginning to think God was silent. He was absent. He was removed from our affairs. He didn't mm. care. Mm. And so naturally, you want to turn to your marriage for sustenance or solace or comfort. We have been married 25 years Four kids, ministry, found that it had kind of pulled us apart. We weren't mm -hmm. close anymore. We were going our, our separate ways. It was in that valley, in that void, with the wrong, you know, I believe wrong beliefs about God, that he didn't care, that I doubted his love, I doubted his guidance and everything, which Satan plants those seeds in your life during difficult times. I drew wrong conclusions that, you know, I had tried you, God. I have followed you, and look what you have done mm -hmm. in our lives, what has happened. And then it leads—you you cannot live with the experience of just being um, all the unresolved issues yeah, in your life. You yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you will resolve them one way or another. Yeah. To resolve those, if we're not careful— because we don't like the division in our heart. Yeah. We don't like feeling that way. We don't like that. And so how do I get it resolved? If I think God has failed me, if I think my marriage has failed me, if I think the church has failed me, then that is when we reach for another God. Because it's like, I say it's like Moses. After God had done all that he had done with the Israelite people, but Moses went up into the mountains, and he Mount Sinai. He was gone a long time. He yeah, was gone yeah, like yeah. forty days. And the people said, "Where did Moses go? You know, who is going to lead us? He's not here." Mm -hmm. So when they thought their leader was gone, they had abandoned them. They turned to another god. They turned to Aaron and said, "Well, make us a god to follow." So when their their force or their leader, their guide, seemed to have disappeared and abandoned them, they needed to resolve it. Yeah. So they said, build us another God. It's no different for us today. When we think God has abandoned us, yeah. that he doesn't care, he's silent, and there's nowhere else to find relief or comfort, whether it be your marriage or the church, you are going to reach for something else. And I did. It happened to, I was, I let my guard down. I was involved in a, a very close friendship with another man. And it just slowly, insidiously moved into an affair. And I, I can remember thinking, well, God so obviously, you know, so little cares about our lives and my, the events and what's going on. I'm sure he won't even care about this. I'm sure he won't even notice this. I had moved 
so far from what I knew to be right. Now, did I know it was wrong? Absolutely. I was never in the affair without great guilt. Well, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> great that's, guilt. That's the, yeah. the, the again that division. Yes. The conviction, the guilt, the shame, the yes. how could I be doing yeah, this? Absolutely. And yet all the justifications and the reasons. All the justif yeah. You you suddenly justification said at one time you would have absolutely dismissed the minute they came to your head. All of a sudden they they seem right. Um, I, I say Christians don't want walk wake up one day and decide to commit adultery. It is the it's the slow melting of your faith. I mean, we drop it like crumbs along the highway, bit by bit by bit. That's how Satan works with us. He doesn't get a a, a, a devout Christian like I was to just get up one morning and say, "Oh, I'm going to have an affair." He knew he had to go to work on me. He knew that through the events that happened in my life, he had to plant bit by bit little seeds of doubt, discouragement, depression, um, hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the things around you, especially if you're a Christian, you say, well, I'm, I'm confused, God. I mean, I've turned to you and you've let me get in this state. So you start turning to other things for the answer. And when they don't satisfy you grab a hold of something else, and it actually ends up just being an escape. You know it's wrong. You know it's not right. But it simply is an escape from the affairs of life that you seem to have no answers for. Mm. It's, a, it's a response to great disappointment mm. uh, as a Christian. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you know, you're, that's just how you live. This is how, yeah. oh, I, when I'm disappointed, I just reach for that or whatever. But as a Christian who's who's been walking with God and been part of the church, when you are profoundly disappointed in life, then you start searching for something that's outside that realm of what you've been taught with, only to find that, uh, you know, it indeed cannot satisfy it and leaves you emptier and dissatisfied and disappointed than ever before. Next week, we'll finish telling you Lyndall's story. There were many more trials ahead, and the consequences of her choices would threaten to drown her in despair. But God faithfully used these things to give her a revelation of his abundant goodness and to turn what the devil meant for evil into great good. Before we end our show today, let me play for you just a clip from next week's episode. Because the first and most pivotal moment of that journey to freedom began with brokenness and repentance. I walked through the kitchen door, my knees buckled, and I fell to the floor. And I kept crying out, this was not what I wanted. And I saw my sins, my life of sham and pretense, and I knew in my life that when we call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. And I called on the name of Jesus like I have never called on the name of Jesus. Before we go, if you find yourself in the position Lyndall was in, please check out her book, Confessions of an Adulterous Christian Woman, Lies That Got Me There, Truths That Brought Me Back, on Amazon.com. And if you're trapped in the chains of pornography, go to store.purelifeministries.org and look for Create in Me a Pure Heart by Kathy Gallagher. 
That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening to Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.